0: at GraceKettering.org. Thanks again for joining us, and enjoy the episode. Let's stand together and find Isaiah chapter number 1, and let's read this together. Uh, listen along as I read, and let's give attention to it. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Remember, there's a divided kingdom, Israel and Judah. A hero, Israel, or a hero, heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord, that's Jehovah, hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the donkey his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my, peop- uh, my people doth not consider. Ah. Sinful nation a people laden with iniquity a seed of evil doers children that are corruptors They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger They have uh, they are gone away backward uh, Sometimes when we look and I just want to comment on verse number four sometimes when we think about God our, our, our understanding of him is sometimes skewed people want to uh, uh, paint him as all grace and, uh, and, and sometimes others want to paint them as all just very vengeful and angry. But God is full of grace and truth, uh, mercy uh, and truth. All those are concepts together. And here we see when God sees his people erring away from him, he says there's, there's anger on God's part. He doesn't, he doesn't love that at all. And so let's read on verse number 5. Why should ye be stricken anymore? Ye, ye will revor- revolt more and more, whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint from the sole of the foot even unto the head. There is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your, Your land, strangers, devour it in your presence. Let me read that again. Strangers devour it in your presence and it is desolate overthrown by strangers and the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers all the vines are growing about it as a besieged city except the Lord of hosts Hath left unto us a very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah, those cities that God destroyed. Verse 10, hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the, the fat of fed beasts. And, and I delight not in the blood of the bullocks and of the lambs and of he, or of he goats when ye come to appear before me who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts. Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and the Sabbaths and the calling of assemblies. I cannot away with it. It is iniquity, even the solemn meetings, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth, they are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. You say, whoa, that's really, really tough. Yeah, God was looking at a people that had everything in order. And they did all the right things, went all through the right motions. And he's like, I've had it. I'm tired of the the show. I'm tired of the offerings. I'm tired of the, the formalities. I'm tired of all that. What does God say? Verse number 16. Wash you. "...make you clean, put away your evil of the evil doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment or justice, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless in a proper way," he's saying, like, make sure they're taken care of, plead for the widow, "...come now," let's read verse 18 together, "...come now, and let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow," Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. This is an invitation from God. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of this land. There's blessing. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with a sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. How is this faithful city become, talking about Zion, Jerusalem, become in harlot? It is full of. It was full of judgment, righteousness lodged in it, but now murders. Thy silver is become dross, thy wine mixed with water. Thy princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loveth gifts or bribes and followeth after rewards. They judge not the fatherless, neither cause, uh, the cause of the widow come unto them. Therefore, saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts, The mighty one of Israel, Ah! I will ease me of mine adversaries and avenge me of mine enemies. And I will turn my hand upon thee and purely purge away thy dross and take away all thy ten. And I will restore thy judges as at the first. Let me say that again. And I will restore thy judges as at the first. And thy counselors as at the beginning, afterward thou shalt be called, read it with me, the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Verse 27, Zion shall be redeemed with judgment, and her coverts with righteousness. Let's pray. Father, would you guide us today, today as we look at this matter of righteous judges All your heart poured out here in this chapter towards the nation of Israel and specifically the city of Jerusalem. And how your heart as their creator and father uh, was so burdened for their waywardness. Yet, Lord, you desired to bring them back to yourself and establish righteous judges that would guide them, would uphold your law in front of them. Pray that you would help us to understand how it related in that context, in that time period, and also how it relates to us today in our nation and time. And so I pray that you guide us. Please, would you anoint me with your spirit, and would you guide my words, and would you help us all to gather from your word what you would have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's be seated. Thank you for standing. God's God's word and God himself cannot be compartmentalized into one arena of our lives. Uh, God has called us and and he has set us in this time we're all living here in 2022 and he has set us in in the time in which all three of the institutions in which in which he created home, government and also the church, all three are are active and he is working in all three arenas of of our lives and God expects us to be a part of all those arenas he does not compartmentalize his word he does not say it's just for the home it's just for the church or it's just for government it is to be to all the arenas and as you see there we have verses in scripture Deuteronomy 6 and verse number seven it tells you fathers to make sure that you're bringing the scripture the word into your homes and you're diligently teaching it to your homes and Daniel 9 6 we find uh, not just in this place, but we also find uh, Here that God's word was spoken to kings and to princes. It was meant to be spoken. Most of the Old Testament prophets had the opportunity to take God's word to the kings and the princes and the judges of their day, and and we even find that God is allowing. In our next step in in the uh, in the book of Acts, Acts 24, Paul, as a preacher, a New Testament preacher, was taking the gospel to Felix, an unprincipled man, and he was going to declare the gospel. He would declare the gospel to Nero and many and near. Pharaoh's household, the Roman emperor would come to know Jesus Christ as their savior. 1 Timothy 3 and verse number 15 says that the church is the pillar and the ground of his truth, and it is the church that is responsible in this age and dispensation to uphold the truth in all these areas, to proclaim the truth in all of these areas, both home, government, and in also the church. And so God has instituted these three uh, institutions, and they do overlap. They overlap into our lives, and even as we vote on... On Tuesday, it overlaps into our lives. We have a responsibility in all of these, these areas. God is interested in all arenas of our living. And he is interested that his word would be applied in all those areas, that his word would be obeyed in all these areas. You say, do you believe that we ought to be a Christian, uh, a Christian country? And there's all on this, um, this talk about Christian nationalism. I do not believe in a state religion. Amen? That was weak. Do you want to go back to a state religion? Right? Do you want to be forced with a sword to believe on something? All right? We do not believe in that. As Baptists, we're against that. But we do not believe that we are to, be on, to step out and let them do their thing. And that's exactly what's happened throughout, throughout the last what 50 years in our country we've let them do their thing we thought that it's just right for us to preach the word of God and hear preach it in the homes but not deal with it out there God is interested in every arena Romans 11 and verse number 36 says for of him and through him and to him are all things not some things, but all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Proverbs 3, 6, In all thy ways, in every way, in every arena, in every area of your life, in all thy ways acknowledge God. Him, and he shall direct thy paths. We see there in Daniel 9, 6 that that God didn't just speak his word to the kings and the princes, but to our fathers and all the people of the land. God is keenly interested that his word would be followed and obeyed, his principles would be obeyed in every arena of life. And so as we do approach another day in the life of our nation, when we elect rulers over us, It is really important that each of us remember and each of us encourage other believers in this way, that we, uh, that the rulers who rule over us are a reflection of us. And I want us to grab a hold of that for a moment. We bark and we, we bemoan, but God's people across our nation have not understood, they said, let them do their thing. And then we'll stand back in our churches and we'll pray that they do the right thing. Friends, that is negligence on our parts. We have an obligation to be engaged. We have an obligation to let our voice be known. Why? Because the rulers that are over us reflect those who go and vote. They reflect those who say, I believe God, and I believe it's right that crime be punished. I believe that it's right that truth be upheld in our streets. I believe in honesty, and so I'm going to go and vote according to those biblical principles. Those who rule over us are a reflection of us. They're a reflection of those that vote. And when half of American Christians are not registered to vote, we got a problem, friends. And it is God's people that have the problem. It is God's people that are largely responsible for the deterioration. You say, well, what happens if there's cheating and all that thing? Well, you know what? If we would do our very best to honor God with the the voice that he's given us, we might have a different story. We might have a different story. And again, this is not political. I want to encourage us in this matter that we're supposed to be engaged. Nowhere in Scripture do you find this, the, these hard and fast divisions that, that they are forcing down us today as Christians. Nowhere. You do not find this in Scripture. God is interested in every arena of our lives. And you should be as well. And so, as we consider this, uh, there are... Uh, Christians who have become misguided and, and thought that well, there needs to be this separation, but I again remind us, Psalm 2 and verse number 10, be wise now therefore, O ye kings, be instructed ye judges of the earth. God has something to say to them. He is interested in how they do their job. He says, he the Lord with fear and rejoice, uh, uh, rejoice with trembling, kiss his son lest he be angry and perish from the way is kindled a little blessed are all them that put his trust in uh, in him he says listen kings and judges i want you to pay attention to this without preachers and without christians voicing these things the word of the lord how will they ever hear second chronicles 19 verse number six and god said to the judges take heed what ye do for ye judge not man but for not judge not for man but for the lord Their responsibility is to him. They will answer to him. They need to hear this. And so we live in a country where we are privileged. We have a different form of government. Sometimes I think that's one of the reasons that people, as they come into our country, they they wonder, why are Christians so interested in, in this? God has privileged us with a wonderful, wonderful gift here. We're not a democracy, we are a constitutional republic. You are represented by those that rule over, uh, over you, and you get to elect them on Tuesday, and they are supposed to be bound by the Constitution, by the rule, uh, rule of law, and we live in this wonderful country where we have the privilege to say, hey, you're in or you're not in. And that's my opinion, that's my, that's my, that's my voice, I get to, to voice. And I find in uh, Ezra 7 and verse 25, Ezra, as a scribe, as a a, a servant of God, he was placed, uh, given the responsibility by God to select judges and magistrates. Ezra was, a preacher. He was given the responsibility. But you know, my mind quickly runs to this fact, that each one of you, as a citizen of this country, are given the responsibility by God to choose who reigns over you. You say, well, my vote doesn't make a difference. Is that what you're going to tell God? It does. It makes a huge difference. And if every believer who says, well, my vote doesn't make a difference, and we get to this, this massive number of half of uh, those that follow after God in our nation say, I don't want to vote, it's a big deal. It's a big deal, and we've abdicated. We have a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to, to really make a difference in our country for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let, I want us to realize this. We do have three branches of government. Executive, help me out. Legislative and judicial. And uh, the founders made it so that the judicial was, was the, uh, the one with the least power. They were not to legislate from the bench and et cetera. They were to interpret the law. And today I want to talk to you about this matter just like, just like Ezra was responsible to set judges over the people of Israel. Uh, God has given us the opportunity even this week to vote for judges. But what does the Bible have to say? What is, what is the importance of judges in a land? Are they important? Are they something, well, you know what? You get down to the bottom of the ballot and you're like, hold up. I don't know who this judge is. And, and you're like, well, I'm just not going to vote. Are they important? Is it important when we, when we get to the bottom of the ballot and we, we look at these judges and, and so Is it important? Does the Bible have anything to say? I hope you picked it up in verse number 26. And I will restore judges as at the first. I will restore judges. So in the restoration of, of Zion as a city, a righteous city, a reputation of righteousness, God says, the one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to restore judges there. Now, there's a heavy message of judgment upon Zion. And we need to realize that, and so we're gonna walk through that so we understand. But God has an eye towards restoration, and part of that restoration was, I'm gonna put judges in place that will honor my law. I'm gonna put judges in place. I wanna do a side note and just note this. Amos 5 and verse number 13 says, therefore the prudent shall keep silence in that time, for it is a time of evil. It's in the context of, of there's not right judgment going forth, And you know what happens when when there is those that are pressing or giving wrong judgment? It causes those that are good to be suppressed. It causes those that are are righteous to become silent. And Amos understood that and there was many times where this was going on in Israel's history. But the righteousness of a city or a nation or the people is directly affected by its judges. The righteousness of a nation is directly affected by its judges. And we see this here in this passage of Scripture that God was giving as, as a, uh, a, a declaration of judgment, but also restoration for his people. The righteousness of the judges in Zion would be directly affected to whether Zion would be a righteous city or called a righteous city. So let's notice in verse number 1 through 20. Notice the the nation of Israel, Zion in decline and sin. Notice the notice that they had rebelled against God. He says that over and over in the first nine verses. In verse number two, he says, and they have rebelled. He says in verse three, they don't know me. An animal knows its master, but they don't know me. Verse number four, they've forsaken, they've provoked, they've gone backward. They they have been backsliding away from God. They're in rebellion against Him. The idea of rebellion is Uh, acting in an organized opposition against god and that's exactly what israel had done they had just crossed their arms we don't want to hear what you have to say even in ezekiel we find that they would go and hear ezekiel and they would listen to him and they would walk out and they say ezekiel that was such a wonderful pleasant message good job and they would go out and with no intention of doing it that was the people of israel they they had their arms crossed they were they had that that mindset they were against God. They had not responded in verse number five to his chastening. He says, why, why do we even chasten you? Uh, sometimes a parent might say, why, why did I discipline you? You didn't listen the first time. What's going on? Why won't you listen? That's exactly what God is saying to his people to his people Israel you have not listened in verse number eight he says you have become a weakened and besieged nation uh, listen he says you're a cottage in the midst of a vineyard the idea is a temporary shack it's like uh, you're like a cardboard shack in the midst of a vineyard in the midst of all this plenty all this blessing that I've given you you're you're like a temporary shack you have been ransacked by by strangers they they've had their way they've they've plummeted your land and he says you're just like that in fact uh, according to history, after a uh, the Assyria's campaign against Judah in 701 BC, Jerusalem was weakened, but it was still standing. It had, it had suffered a major blow. But in Sennacherib, uh, in the, the in the chronicles, Sennacherib claims that he left Hezekiah like a trapped or trapped like a bird in a And I want you to see this, Uh, we know this because of uh, Sennacherib's prism. And so uh, back in that time, this is what he wrote down about Judah, about this time that that um, Isaiah is referencing and saying, listen, that's exactly the case. It's historically uh, underscored by Sennacherib's uh, chronicle that, boy, I've left Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, and the nation of Judah um, trapped like a bird in a cage. I've severely weakened them. Verse number 9, they're just like Sodom and Gomorrah, except except if God had not preserved a remnant, a a remnant of people that followed after him, like an Isaiah. They would have been destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah. They They were on the precipice of destruction. And they had allowed so much sin into the land. It was full of murders as we... As we read here, rebellion against God is ultimately manifested by a rejection of his word. Rebellion against God is ultimately manifested by a rejection of his word. Rejection is not always open, outward, and, and very vocal. Sometimes it is an inward stubbornness that appears in our hearts. And rejection against God or rebellion against God is manifested by a rejection of the authority of his word. As we saw on Wednesday night, Daniel 9, 6, neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets which spake in thy name to our kings, princes, fathers, and to all the people of the land. We didn't listen. We didn't listen. We rejected your word. We said, it'll be another day. And so they rebelled, yet they continue to try to worship, we find. And that's where God really, really struggled with them. They continued to try to worship, and what would, what would God do with this? I, I think sometimes the Mother's Day, and you'll hear sometimes a, a mother say, I wish, I wish you'd just give me the gift of obedience. So someone tries really hard to, to, to make a nice, a nice Mother's Day gift, and they give it to them, but they're stiff-arming mom the rest of the time. It's on that one day they give a gift, and they're like, this will take care of it all, this will show my love. No, I want your obedience. And that's exactly how God had felt towards his people. And so what would he do with their worship in verses 10 through 15? We read through that. Uh, Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. And he goes on to say, I'm full. I delight not in your worship. Uh, Bring no more vain offerings. Don't bring them. You might as well not waste your time. The, uh, your incense, your, your sweet smells are an abomination. I can't, I can't even bear your meetings and your assemblies together because I look down and I'm not impressed with all the looking right. I'm not impressed with all that at all. I, I, am, I am worn out with your hearts being against me and being rebellious, rejecting the authority of my, my word. He says, my soul, in verse 14, hates your feast. Those are really strong words. Really strong words. I will hide my eyes when you, when you lift up your hands in the sanctuary and, and you say, Oh, I, I love you and I worship you, and I'll hide my eyes. You know, God is so very interested in the heart that you came here with today. It's easy to, to, to show something, but friends, may our hearts be sincere as we worship the Lord, as we pray. We desperately need that. God sees our heart. And it's not that he doesn't care about our out, outside. We, we can go to extremes here. But it needs to be from the heart out, not from the inside or from the outside in. It, it needs to, We need to live from the heart out, a heart for God. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first commandment. So it, it was not, Just empty words that that God was looking for and delighting in. It was not the empty rituals He wanted their heart. God was not honored with their two faced worship, and He's stating that in no uncertain terms. He's stating that to them, I'm I'm full of it. I'm weary of it. W. E. Vine said, "This mere external religion is ever a cloak to cover iniquity or sin." The Lord exposed all that in his strong denunciations in Matthew chapter twenty three. The guilty combination in Judaism has largely developed in Christendom or Christianity. The conscience of a believer may become so seared that a person can practice religion while yet living in sin. We all need to be on guard against that. The Bible was written, the Old Testament was written for our examples to to help us to learn lessons from what they did? Friends, Israel as a whole is a picture of the New Testament believer. You as an individual can just be like uh, like Israel as a whole nation that that came and worshipped and put on a lot of pomp and circumstance but yet their heart wasn't in it. Oh God, would you help our consciences to be tender and sensitive to insincerity, to hypocrisy. John 424. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him. Help me in spirit and in truth, reality, honesty, transparency. Now, there are some that say, Well, I just don't want to be a part of church because it's a bunch of hypocrites there. Okay, listen. Every single person on earth has been a hypocrite at some point. And just because you have decided to follow Jesus by faith does not mean that you're exempt from ever being a hypocrite. But does Jesus. Does Jesus want us to be uh, uh, full of hypocrisy? Yes or no? No. It's a sin. It's wrong, and we should allow Jesus to clean it out of our lives. Amen? You with me on that? Now, every one of us has the ability to be hypocritical. And so we need to deal with that, that, that sin in our lives. We just need to deal with it, be honest about it, and deal with it. Uh, We also don't want to be the person that comes in and airs every piece of dirty laundry that's going on in our in our lives In other words, you you just you just spill it all out there There are things that that need to be said and things that do not need to be said, right? Are you with me help me out? There's just there's there's a there's decorum in some of that, and really what we find is if it's a sin between me and Jesus, it needs to be between me and Jesus, and I might say it to another. Would you pray with me? I'm I'm dealing with this problem. Would you help me out and would you pray for me? If it's a sin between me and another person, I need to go deal with it. To the extent of the sin is the extent of where it needs to be announced. Does that make sense? And so we 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 want to be truthful and honest in that way. Israel was not. They had rebelled, and understandably God was rejecting their worship, but he wanted them to come back. And here's where we see the heart of the Father for them in verses 16 through 20. He requests their return. He says, wash, uh, put away your sins, learn, uh, uh, seek judgment, come now, let's reason together. Let's have a discussion together and get this thing right. Let's make this thing Right. Uh, That's pretty amazing when God is seeking after us in that way. When we have been hypocritical or we've shunned Him, we've rebelled against Him, and yet God is making an invitation come, I want to help you. I want to talk to you. I want to make your sins as white as snow. Isn't that awesome? And there's the greatest invitation that's ever, ever been given, and it's, it comes from the foot of the cross. Whosoever will may come. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible talks in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he was made to sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Talking about taking away the sins. My favorite verse in all the Bible. Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west something like this, all right, Uh, east and west, right? As far as the east is from the west, which is infinity. There's no end to that, right? As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. That's what he's offering to them. Come, let's have this. And ultimately, that would be fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. But he was offering forgiveness and a right relationship and fellowship with them. We must catch this, that God is desirous. He's, he, he wants so very badly a relationship with his people. He wants a relationship with everyone you pass at work, even the annoying neighbor. He wants a relationship with them right? He wants a relationship with all people, the people that you get along with, with the people you don't get along with. He wants a relationship with them. He is desirous of that, but relationships have to happen inside the context of holiness, and we must understand that. Sometimes people say, well, just come to God just as you are. If you come to God just as you are, he's going to clean you up. He wants you to come. We don't have to purify ourselves in order to come to Christ, but when we come, he's going to change our lives. Why? Holiness is the context for relationship or fellowship or reconciliation with God. Now, ultimately, that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. He makes us holy before the Father. But Israel could have no fellowship with their, with their master outside the context of holiness. We find here, he says there in 16 through 20, wash. Uh, make you clean, put away your evil, do right, let's reason together. Uh, If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. If If you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured. He's saying, listen, you're either going to come to me on my terms or not at all. Holiness is the context for fellowship with God. It behooves us to stop and ask ourselves, where am I in my relationship with God? 1 John talks much about this. We'll deal with some of this even tonight. But 1 John tells us, listen, if there's something in between my soul and the Savior, I need to get right. Uh, Say it with me, 1 John 1, 9, if you know it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So holiness is the context for fellowship with, with God. And that's what he's offering his people. Here's the choice. Willing and obedient, you're blessed. If you refuse and rebel, you're going to be devoured. I don't like the sound of that. Now listen, there is blessing in following, uh, following God. Look at our nation from its founding. But we're seeing those blessings uh, just be wiped away. Why? Because we've decided to refuse and rebel. And we think it's okay because we have this thing. There's church and there's, there's, there's a state and you know, that they do their own thing and, that, and, and God doesn't have anything to do with that over there. No. <laughs> God is interested in his word being followed and upheld in every arena of life. And so we're watching these blessings go away. As you read through that, it was impossible not to read these verses of Scripture and not see our own nation in some of those, in some of those statements. Amen. To be devoured, to be taken uh, over or, or, or devoured by strangers. Listen, we have a mission field coming to us, but it doesn't make it any less right that we have, we have a situation where we're just allowing people to, um, to without any, any restraint pour into our country. No nation can exist that way. Now, we want, we have a different perspective as believers. We must bring them the gospel as we can. No matter how they got here, we need to. But there's still laws that ought to be followed in in our nation. And so I just want us to realize, God God shows us so much here and he says, listen, if you refuse and rebel, this is what's going to happen. We are watching that in our nation. We're watching. The judgment of God upon our nation. That's not an easy thing for me to say. It's not an easy thing for me to realize that we're in the midst of. It's very, very difficult. But God is always seeking to return. He said, now I want you to come back. I still believe God's trying to call us back to Himself. Tomorrow, as believers from across the country pray, we're seeking God for that. We need a great awakening. More than any one person in an office or a position, we need a great awakening to righteousness. We need to return to God. And I think about the, um, the, the prodigal son's father. As he waited by the, the head of the way, he did not chase after, he did not force him to come back. But when he had realized the error of his way, he came back. And the Bible says in Luke 15 and verse 20, and he, the father, or he, on um, the son, uh, arose and came to his father. But He was a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So you get the idea that the father was just waiting. Well, maybe he'll come home today. Maybe he'll come home today. And I think of our great God who continually looks. Maybe they'll come home today. Maybe they'll realize the error of the way today. That's our God, merciful, constantly waiting for us to come back to him. His patience is amazing. So Israel was a nation in decline. A nation in sin. They were under judgment, and this is a very big deal um, because their sin had brought this upon them. And I want us just to note the seriousness of sin for a second. Verses 21 through uh, 24. God asks this question. How is the faithful city become a harlot? Does that shock you at all? God likens their behavior towards him to to adultery, to harlotry. Wow. Wow. Uh, that's really, really stiff. He says in verse 21, it was full of judgment. It was full of justice at one time. Righteousness did lodge in it at one time, but now murders. But now murders. I think even in our own nation. How that hits me even as I read that. But now murders. So much murder unbelievable amount of bloodshed and innocent bloodshed in our cities. Just the wickedness and the allowance that that would continue forward. And and he goes on, he says, your silver has become dross. You are, you are totally impure. The seriousness of sin had caused her, her demise, her decline. There was no justice. It was full of murder, uh, uh, murder. Their, their governors or their governing leaders had become full of bribes and they, they with thieves they had forsaken the care of the fatherless and widows and god said your sin has caused your decline but your sin is also about judgment verse 24 god's going to ease himself he's going to relieve himself he is so upset with his people he's going to relieve himself by bringing judgment upon his adversaries and it's a really big deal when god begins to call his people his adversaries because they're acting against him whoa He says, I'm going to avenge. I'm going to take vengeance upon them. James speaks to the church, to believers scattered abroad, and he says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Well, there's the same principle. And yet sometimes we feel like as New Testament believers, we're, we're a different cut. We, we, God views our sin or connection with the world a little bit differently. God has still called the church to come out of the world. That is in our very definition. We are a called out assembly from the world to Jesus Christ. That's what we are to be. We're not to be linked with the world. We're not to be in cahoots with the world. We're not to be friends with the world. Yes, we are to win them. We're a part of this world. We're in it. We're not to be isolated. We are to be insulated. We're not to allow their philosophy, their ideas, their way of living to affect us. We are not to live in that way. Otherwise, when we do, James' words are very true. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God, Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Anyone want to be an enemy of God today? Not at all. God calls us to be separate, He calls us to be holy, He calls us to be with Him and not with the world. So the sin of rebellion against God and His Word is no less serious today. God called it sin then, He called it harlotry then. And Israel refused to hear, and they went after their own way, worshiped their own gods, they did their own thing. We know how to do this. And God said, it was wrong then. You didn't listen to me. Your kings didn't listen. Your princes didn't listen. Your fathers didn't listen. All the people didn't listen. And that's why Daniel and his three friends were in captivity, was because they had muffled their ears, and they said, we don't want to listen. We're against this. We don't want to listen. But you know the church is told in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 20, we are told to despise not prophesying. Why would God have to tell us not to despise the forth telling or the declaration of the word of truth? Because it is possible even as New Testament believers to, to muffle our ears to the, the, to the declaration of the truth. Well, it just doesn't work that way anymore in our day. Don't we realize it's 2020? It's a different day. No, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he expects his people to receive his word, not reject his word. And it is rebellion every time that we say no to God's word. Listen, friends, I can't can't impress upon us more. The leaders that rule over us are a reflection of us. If we're walking in rebellion towards God, we're going to have leaders that walk in rebellion towards God. If the church in America walks in rebellion towards God, it's going to have leaders who rebel against God. That we are living in a day where God has given us the opportunity to be uh, to be led by those who are uh, are elected uh, by the, uh, those who represent us. They, they, we elect those that represent us, and so it is a it is a real thing where how we're living is reflected even in, in them. And so I want us to realize that we must hear. We must not allow sin to be in our lives. We must stand against it. We must not rebel against him. Why? Because sin is serious. It brings decline and it brings judgment. But notice in verse 25, God says, I, you're under judgment and I have one priority to bring purity back into your life. To bring purity. And God does the same with us. But notice verse 25. He says, I will turn... My hand upon thee. The idea is I'm going to, I am going to deal with you in a firm way and here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to purge, purely purge away your dross. I'm going to take away your tin. The idea of the dross, you understand, is impurities. I'm going to skim that off. God allows us, like Job, to go through trials that that purifies us. He allows us to go through persecutions that would purify us. He allows our nation to go through trials or natural disasters to purify us to help wake up, but you know what? He says, I'll put, I'll put uh, take away all thy ten. A ten is just another word for, a biblical word for, for impurities. So God's desire is purity. His desire in Israel was purity. Judgment and chastening from God is not to harm us, but is to help us. Have we not witnessed in our day the mindset that all discipline is intended to harm? we not seen that in our schools you cannot tell them no you can't do anything negative have we not seen this friends this is against the principles of scripture judgment chastening is not to harm us it is to help us we read in hebrews 12 and verse number six for whom the lord loveth he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth and it goes on to talk about god chastens those that he loves Yet we have turned that around in our nation. We've forgotten that principle and has it really helped us out. Not at all. Not at all. God will bring chastening upon the children of Israel to help them return to him. And I find it amazing that in his very message about judgment and their their sin, that he also includes a statement about here's what I'm hoping for your restoration. Isn't that good? So I mean, sometimes we can we can even in in our own dealings within our families, dads. We need to we need to not be uh, so negative that we don't we don't hope for the 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 outcome, the right outcome. We say, well, hey, you did wrong. Uh, I'm going to deal with it. But listen, there's restoration, there's reconciliation on the other side. There's there's hope. I find God to be an incredible God of hope, and you just note that. People can certainly read scripture with a skewed view, but God talks about the restoration. He desired to restore them, verses 26 through 31, following the judgment. The first thing that God would do is he would would give them judges that would help decide between right and wrong. Now, in Habakkuk, one of my favorite Old Testament prophets, Habakkuk opens up with a prayer towards God where he just bemoans the fact that judgment had not taken place. And, and God, where are you in all of this? Why aren't you bringing judgment upon your people? But while judgment is stayed, what, um, what Habakkuk saw, he said in verse number 4, Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass or surround about the righteous. Does that sound interesting right there? The, the wicked doth surround the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. And he's saying, listen, all I see is wrong judgment everywhere. Well, Israel was in decline and under judgment. And certainly they had judges that represented them or reflected them in that way. And so God says, I'm going to restore Israel. I'm looking forward to the day that I get to restore you. And part of that restoration is going to be righteous judges. Without them, unrighteousness would flourish. Right? Is that not how it happens? If, if the rule of law is not determined and it's not determined rightly, unrighteousness will flourish. And so God said, I'm going to restore judges. I will restore judges as at the first and thy counselors as at the beginning. You say, well, how do we know what kind of judges those would be? Why don't you turn back to Exodus chapter 18? Remember as God was taking the nation of Israel out of Egypt. He brought them to Mount Sinai. He gave them the law, the Ten Commandments, right? At Mount Sinai, the first table Moses broke as they were down around uh, the golden calf, uh, uh, led and inspired by Aaron uh, they're down around worshiping the golden calf because Moses, well, he's gone. We don't know what happened to him. We're going to worship a golden calf. And so they're doing all sorts of wickedness down there, uh, uh, n- nakedness, and uh, their music reflected it, all sorts of things that were going on down there as they worship this golden calf. And uh, Moses throws the, the table of stone down the, the, that the Ten Commandments were written on. And so he ends up having to go um, go back up, meet with God, and, and them be written again. And so the Ten Commandments, commandments are received and now God has has set Moses as the leader he's a judge in Israel we see this in Exodus 18 and verse number 13 and it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood by from morning until evening this is when Jethro Moses his father-in-law observed all this and he's doing all this judging he's declaring the law he's telling right from wrong a little bit later there he uh, uh, Jethro asked Uh, unto his father in law, uh, answering why why are you doing this because the people come unto me to inquire of God the people come to inquire well that's what he was doing he was was helping them understand right and wrong so he was judging them based on the word of God but a little bit later on when Jethro said listen you're going to wear yourself out if you don't have some help here to judge all these people you can't judge over a million people all on your own you can't do that So you need to set up. And so what did they do? He said in verse number 21, Moreover thou shalt provide out of all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds and rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. And they shall judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge, shall be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. And so we see that God, at the early stage of, of Israel's history as a uh, a nation that was forming, he, uh, he said, Moses, I want you to set up other judges that are going to help you bear the burden of judging the people and, and giving them answers concerning what God wants them to do. In any given situation, a spat between a neighbor, uh, a, a marital issue, in any given situation, I want you to have judges going to help out in that situation. But God gives here, God gives what is the qualifications of these first judges. And I want us to notice that. They were to be able men. They were to be able men. In other words, they were to be fit and qualified. They were to have the ability to do their job. They were to be, they were to be aware. They were to have Uh, The education needed they were to be able to do what was required of them. They were fit in their ability They were qualified Sometimes we look at people that rule in office and we say I don't think they're very qualified They don't they don't give me a whole lot of confidence that they know what they're doing, right? Well, these were to be able men They were to be qualified God wants qualified judges sitting and uh, giving uh, giving rule And so they were also to fear God. Isn't that a good thing? They're to reverence God They weren't to reverence man, they were to reverence God. And the Bible says the fear of the Lord is clean. Psalm 19 and verse number 9. Enduring forever, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So if a person fears God, their, their judgment, their determination is going to be righteous and it's going to be according to truth. And so fearing God was a qualification for these judges that would rule over Israel at the first. They were also to be men of truth. They were to be honest men. They were to be genuine. They were not to, uh, they were to be committed to the truth. So they were not to, uh, to love lies. They were not to love deception. They were not to love backroom deals. They were to be men of truth. And then fourth, the qualifications. They were to hate covetousness. They were to hate uh, illegal gain, or the, literally the word uh, uh, covetous here means to, uh, the idea of loot or bribery. Um, so they were to hate that. They weren't to be seeking illegal gain under the table. Seems like these are pretty good qualifications that we could apply in this day. And it would help us out a whole lot. It'd Probably clean a whole lot out. But God said this. We say, well, the Bible's so irrelevant. No, the Bible's not irrelevant if we read it. Right here, God gives qualifications. Do these still bind today? Does God still care about these things today? Yes! Should this affect the way you go to the ballot box? Yes! Yes! Take the principles of the word and and apply them. You say, well, no one's perfect. No, we're human. But do the very best that you can with these these principles. So if there would be a restoration of righteousness in Zion, there would um, first be a restoration of its judges. Judges are important. And I don't know about you, probably until um, maybe the last five years, it was so easy to just discount because they're always down the list, right? You know, it's not a big deal. I don't know. How do we find information about them? And and to discount the the importance of judges. But you know all the way throughout our nation's history, judges have made such an impact on the course of our nation. And I want to give a few illustrations. Brother Andy helped me out with some of this, this re, uh, research. But 1962, uh, do we remember, Brother Ron, what happened in 1962? God was kicked out of school. By the way, in 1962, I don't think the church nearly made enough ruckus about that. Right? We didn't stand up and voice nearly enough. I'm not saying no one did. I'm just saying, uh, and I wasn't there right? You say, you young buck, right? But uh, I'm not incriminating. I'm just saying, boy, you talk about a a sad day. Do you realize that the public schools were not founded by the state? They were founded by a preacher and his name was Benjamin Rush. And the whole point of the public schools was to teach kids how to read and read the Bible. They memorized scripture. This whole idea that you stay out of it. No, the whole purpose of the public school was to help children understand the ways of God. It's amazing how far we've come. But in 1962, there was a, a, uh, there was a Supreme Court ruling, Engel v. Vitale, uh, the prayer and the Bible removed from the public schools. And has it helped? No. no. We're, in, we're in deep trouble in that way. On November 8, 2002, some of you might remember Judge Roy Moore in Alabama. How many of you remember that? Remember... He had set in 2001, he had set the Ten Commandments in the Justice Building there in Alabama. He had set this wonderfully large monument there. Well, that wasn't much appreciated, and it was a court case that ultimately that next year required on that to be removed. And that, that's, that's a story that's repeated throughout, throughout our country, the, the story of removing anything that reminds people of the law of God. Uh, I'm covering it up there with that little blurb, but he talks about the the, uh, the laws of nature uh, right below that man's hand in front of the in front of the monument. The, uh, the laws of nature and of nature's God is written on the front of it, which is a quote from our our, our founding documents. And so th- that that was removed, and it's a sad thing when we literally are moving God's law, God's eternal foundational law, right out of right out of our 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 public square. On uh, June 24th, 2022, what happened that day? Remember, just a few months ago? The overturning of Roe versus Wade. That was a court case. Ultimately, uh, something that was very good. It returned the responsibility of making this decision back to the people and the representatives. That's where it belonged all the way along. But this was a court case. Do judges matter? Do justices matter? Absolutely. Uh, The majority opinion on that day was given by Justice Samuel Alito. Abortion presents a profound moral question. The Constitution does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. Roe and and Casey arrogated that um, that authority. We now overrule those decisions and return that authority to the people and their elected representatives. Do justices matter? Yes, they do. By the way, as we speak, I spoke with a pastor up in Michigan. As a result of this law, there is a, a an awful ballot initiative that's going on up there that is, is a, a backlash to this, to this court case. And it's issue three up there, or, or proposition three up in Michigan. And if it is allowed to go forward, it will set a precedent in our nation that that that, uh, that not only... Um, reverses for Michigan reverses Roe versus Wade or, or, or just the allowance but it actually it does away with it, instead of calling women the ones that bear, bear children we all, we're all clear about that today women bear children right? we're all clear about that today but there this, this constitutional amendment would wipe that away it would be an individual and also do away with uh, even, even some of the uh, anyone can consent no matter even of age some really really bad things we need to pray for God's mercy upon, upon the state of Michigan. But uh, again, uh, judges matter. They overturned it. But here, even in our, because it's so close to us, we have this abortion clinic here in town. Uh, even as that, that Supreme Court ruling came down on June the 24th, there was an injunction that was filed against the Ohio law um, by a Hamilton County judge uh, um, and he, the the law that in Ohio that, that stood was the heartbeat bill. After a heartbeat is detected, an abortion can't happen. And this judge filed a an injunction against it. And there's still some there's still some things that are going on with with all that. But I, I just say judges judges matter. So we have a Supreme Court uh, that overturned it. But here in Ohio, we've we've uh, it's gone in and out of courts, and judges do indeed matter. Even the selection of the judge that they selected there in Hamilton County, uh, interesting things. And so I'm just underscoring judges matter. In 2004, with the whole issue of whether uh, the pledge can be led with uh, the, the phrase under God in it. It appears in court, and ultimately, it's been upheld uh, because it's not um, something that's forced people to can do it of their free will. But judges matter. Uh, nativity scenes—we've heard about that. Can they be in front of? Uh, can they be in front of uh, government? Uh, you know, a county courthouse and, and, and so on. And and. Uh, these things go to, to judges in the 7th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. A split decision uh, two on 2-1 to one decided a nativity scene in front of a state building does not violate the establishment cause of the First Amendment in Brownsville, Indiana. Judges matter, and they, they do. Uh, January 2022, a federal judge dismissed a lawsuit challenging a law that eliminated Connecticut's religious exemption from childhood immunizations requiring for schools, colleges, and day uh, daycare facilities. And this was not uh, COVID vaccines; this was all all vaccines and removing, uh, dealing with the whole matter of religious exemption. Judges matter. Don't you appreciate religious freedom? Don't you uh, appreciate being able to live according to your own conscience? I even spoke to that last week. You were able to live according to your own conscience in that, that exact arena through the, the, through the time of COVID. That's what God's given us the ability to have free will. It's amazing. Um, first, uh, in January 2022, uh, Boston area, and I, I just want to state this as a last, uh, a last thing. We hear about a lot of crime that goes on in our cities. And uh, you see this thing about kind of a catch and release type of thing. We're dealing with that here, and I am allowed and able to advocate for different issues, and you, sh- you need to be aware of issue one and issue two. You need to be aware of issue one in our, in our state right now. I see, I see a, a, a head there. Judges should have the ability to set, set bail to keep criminals off the street. And in Boston, I I bring up this uh, this particular illustration. There was a 29-year-old there that was let uh, let free, but he had a 13-page rap sheet. He was a career felon, and yet let go, and let go, and let go. Friends, be aware that type of mentality is being struggled about, is being debated here in Ohio right now. Judges matter. We'll speak more more to that and answer questions. This is not not the time for that uh, tonight. But judges do matter. We need judges who are able, honest, God-fearing, hating bribes. You all agree with that? I'm glad you do because it's Bible. We We need judges in that way. So there would be a restoration of righteousness. God set judges in, in, in place that would uphold these things. And he says that in verse 26. Afterward, after these judges are in place and they're functioning, the city uh, thou shalt be called the city of righteousness, a faithful city. You'll be called a just city. That's what you'll be called. That will be your reputation. Reputation of righteousness. Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Certainly that is true of us today. Pastor Timothy Stone, 1792, gave a election day sermon, May 10th, 1792, in front of many elected officials, and he said this, let us not vainly boast in our truly happy constitution, nor in the number of wise and pious personages whom God hath called to preside in its administration, talking about the the elected officials we have abundant occasion indeed to bless and praise the god of heaven for all our distinguishing privileges both civil and religious few of our lapsed race our ancestors enjoy freedoms equal to those we possess do you believe that but we do well to remember that profaneness and irreligion And infidelity and ungodliness when connected with such advantages will exceedingly enhance the guilt of men and without repentance will awfully increase the pains of damnation. Would we become a wise, understanding people We must learn the statutes and judgments which our Lord God, the Lord our God, hath commanded and obey them. We must be a religious holy people, for without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Let us all be exhorted to become wise to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Pastor Timothy Stone, just a a brief snippet from that message that he preached in front of those, those that were elected. Listen, they need to hear it. We need to hear it. I think about our first Supreme Court justice in the United States. His name was John Jay. He said this of the Bible, the Bible is the best of all books for it is the word of God and it teaches us the way to be happy in this world and the next. Continue therefore to read it and to regulate your life by its precepts. Wouldn't you like to hear that again today? He went on to say, no human society has ever been able to maintain both order and freedom. Both order and freedom seems like a, a novelty these days. Both order and freedom, both cohesiveness and liberty apart from the moral precepts of the Christian religion applied and accepted by all its classes. Should our republic, should our republic, should our republic eer forget this fundamental principle of governance, men are certain to shed their responsibilities for licentiousness and just open wickedness, and this great experiment shall then surely be doomed. Interesting. Judges matter. Judges matter. And we've walked away from just the basic principles given in Exodus chapter 18 about what should be the qualification of judges. Friends, God's invitation to Israel was to come back to him. I want to restore you. I want to give you judges that will uphold my truth and uphold my law. If you obey, there will be blessing. If you rebel, there will be devouring. Come to me, come to me. And he's still saying that to us today. He might be saying that to you personally today. Come back to me. Maybe you've been rebelling against the Lord. Listen, it's going to be hard for you to be able to clearly see who you should even choose when you're in rebellion to the Lord. I encourage you, come to the Lord. But if you're, if you're not, you say, man, I'm walking with the Lord. I'm walking in His presence. Listen, understand that God has given you the incredible responsibility to elect those who will represent you and elect them according to His, His principles. I want to close with this verse. Micah 6 uh, and verse number 8. He hath showed thee, O man, he hath showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God, to do justly, to do righteousness. Are you a person, are you a citizen right now who's loving righteousness, loving justice, and promoting it both in your own behavior but also in your, the different arenas of life, in all of the arenas of life? Are you a person that's promoting it? Listen, we want judges that will rule over us according to these principles but are you personally promoting it? The world needs to see you, your workplace needs to see you, your home, your church needs to see you living out on justness, righteousness, loving mercy, walking humbly with our God. And so let's just take it down to home. Lord, I want, I want to be a person that walks justly. I want to be a person that loves righteousness. I want to be a person that walks in holiness. I want to elect those that do that, but I want to personally walk that way. And as we close here today, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and take a moment for prayer today. And I want to ask you a few questions. And I hope that they will will prompt a response between you and God. This morning, can you say, between you and God, can you ask yourself this question? Do I obey God's word or do I rebel against it? do I obey God's word or do I rebel against it? It's one thing to look out and say, boy, I wish we had justices and judges that would obey God's word. It's quite another thing to to talk between you and God and say, do I obey it or do I rebel against it? Ask yourself this, do I love justice and righteousness and promote it in every area of my life or have I become quiet? I've just regulated... Bible and God's word to my home, to my church but I don't want to talk about it out in the public arena do I love justice? do I love coming to the aid of those that are being treated unjustly? do I love to stand against unrighteousness? do I love what God loves? ask yourself this question Do I consider the importance of judges and casting an informed vote for judges who are qualified, God-fearing, honest, and hating bribery? Do I take it that seriously? Because God took it seriously enough to put it in His Word. Do I take it that seriously? Say, Pastor, I haven't. But over the next couple days, I'm going to do my very best to take that seriously. Father, thank you for your truth and how clear it is for our day, how relevant your, your word is. And I pray that you would help us to stand strong in this day, in every arena of, uh, of our lives, at home, in the government, and also in the church. Lord, stand firmly with your word and your truth. Help it to be elevated in our lives, we pray. Lord, I pray for our nation. Lord, we desperately need your mercy. But I pray for your people across our nation that your people would arise and awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. So Lord, I pray that you would stir your people. I pray for our brethren in Michigan. Lord, I ask that you give them courage and that you would give them motivation and that you would guide them and that you would would allow unrighteousness to be defeated. Lord, I pray that you would help us to stand firm with your truth and not back down, not to be ashamed in any way. Lord, I also ask if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you as Savior, I pray that they would make that right with you today, that they would come and be reconciled to you and find uh, the complete righteousness in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in in this place. We pray that you bless our time together in the Lord's Supper this evening. Pray that it would just be a wonderful fellowship around the memorial that you have set for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.